Well, over the years, the church has had many enemies in the seen and unseen world. That's what's going on in Thessalonica as we enter chapter 2, as some of the enemies of the gospel are, are coming after the Apostle Paul. And over the years, the church has had many scandals. Let me give you two quick examples. In the spring, the pastor of the largest church in Chicago stepped down uh, amidst some scandals. And just this morning, the pastor of the second largest church in Chicago was terminated from his position. So there are scandals abounding. Perhaps the biggest areas have been the abuse of power, greed, and immorality, and no doubt the age of the celebrity pastor has made things worse. Sadly, worst of all, it has tainted the witness of the church, and also sad, it has tainted the work of those who are doing the work of the gospel, but they're not like those people. You get lumped in with a whole bunch of other people. It seems that was the case with the Apostle Paul. People were attacking his integrity and the integrity of the team of uh, Timothy and Silas that he was traveling with in ministry. When it comes to gospel ministry, some of the most basic needs are a clear gospel. To be very clear, don't hedge on it, just, just say it for what it is, and the integrity and the authentic nature of God's servants. Now, authenticity is a word that people talk a lot about today. It's thrown a lot around a lot, uh, especially by younger people. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take much to realize if you just find out about all these scandals that integrity can easily be faked from the stage. But it cannot be faked in the trenches of life which is why a lot of the celebrity pastors like to remain uh, kind of out of the out of the eye of the of the people. So perhaps better than trying to define it, the church would be uh, better served if rather than defining authenticity, we simply just tried to observe it. And then when we saw it, we would be able to say that's exactly what it looks like. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul is going to share his heart of what the work of the ministry should really look like. And one thing about uh, the Apostle Paul is he's a shepherd, he's not a speaker. He, he's about the, the Word of God and the people of God. And, and while we're not apostles, uh, on the other hand, we can still do a lot of things the way he does them, and the way he models them for us. Despite his uh, amazing ministry, he had his critics, people who didn't like him or people who didn't like his uh, ministry, uh, many of whom the Bible uses the term were drawing disciples to themselves. We're going to have to use that term a few times tonight. Uh, they noted that uh, and he, you can tell by what he's saying, what they were saying about him. They noted that he left uh, Thessalonica quickly. Oh, he just came in, preached for a little bit, you know, tried to get himself a name so maybe he could make some money, and then he left. Of course, 
Uh, he was having tremendous problems with the authorities uh, caused by probably many of the people that are saying this stuff about him. He was in danger. Others seem to think that he was in it for himself and in it for the money. Not necessarily people in the Thessalonica church, but people outside the church. And sadly, what happens is, you know what happens with bad news. It spreads like wildfire, and a lot of times people believe it. The unjust criticism, I don't really know per se always how it affected the Apostle Paul. We all wear it differently, don't we? people say things about us that's not true. And sadly, it drives a lot of people to quit the ministry. And that is really, really sad when good people quit the ministry and people who just talk a lot of silly stuff are still kind of uh, hanging around. Uh, Personally, I I don't know, maybe it's my past career as a trucking company dispatcher that uh, gave me some very thick skin, but Personally, to me, it's the immaturity of such people that grieves me uh, that they would critique things that they know absolutely nothing about. They just, they're just talking and talking and talking, and, and you, you just look at them and you're like, you don't really have any idea what you're talking about. So we jump into chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, for you yourselves know, that's going to be an expression or some variation of an expression he's going to use a a lot tonight. Uh, For you yourselves know, brethren, so he's talking to Christians, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, remember they were beaten there and they were thrown in jail, we covered that the first week, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So he begins by saying, we came to you, but we didn't come to you in vain. Now, there's a few different things we could talk about what that means, but I just want to take a a sidebar just for a second. If you do something for the Lord, I'm not talking about for yourself, your own recognition, we'll talk about that in a bit, but if you honestly do something for the Lord, that your heart is really to, to serve him, know this, it's not done in vain. God sees it, God knows it. And he is, he is aware of it. And so specifically, he's talking about the fact that we came to you, we preached the gospel, and you became followers of Jesus, and your lives were changed. And the report that Timothy brought back to him, remember, he's sitting in Corinth, and Timothy brought a report back to him that they're still changed, and they are still changing. So it wasn't like, he told them about Jesus, they changed, and then he left town, and they went back to the same old, same old. Now, if you recall, uh, when he went to Philippi, he was treated horribly there by the authorities. He was, he was, they were arrested, they were, they were beaten. But instead of going home, they keep going. And not only do they keep going, look what he says here in verse 2, as you know, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So not only after getting beaten, they were were whipped and jailed in Philippi. After that, not only did they keep moving, but they didn't tone it down. They they kept at it. They They were bold. And when they came to Thessalonica, they preached fearlessly. And people were saved. And what happened? They were treated horribly by the authorities again. 
safe to say that Paul and Silas and Timothy were men of courage, something that many people would say is is somewhat lacking or often lacking in the church in America today. Many of us fear any kind of hardship. We fear any kind of discomfort. Uh, Comfort is one of the chief American gods. I mean, that's one of the real idols of, of America is we want everything to be comfortable. And what happens is uh, if you fear hardship and you want to be comfortable, then you are going to be fearful of taking that next step of faith. You know how often I'll say to you sometimes, I'll say, you have to take that next step, whatever that is for you. And a lot of times it's just fear. It's just fear. You know, here's, here's the thing you have to remember. You're like, well, what if I do something wrong? Well, you know, the apostles are gone and this Christianity thing is still rolling. Can I be so blasphemous as to say Jesus is gone and it's still rolling? So any little mistake that you and I might make, Kevin's not going to be like, oh my gosh, Gabriel, why weren't you watching? What's going on with that? You know, God knows and, and he's, he, he, can, he can handle it for sure. Many uh, people expect the church to give them of their time in their own personal ministry, yet they're, own, they're unwilling to give of their own time and their own ministry. And what's sad about that is you miss the reward of service. And there is, there is great service by serving the people of God and, and pushing the gospel forward. And the Holy Spirit calls all followers of Jesus into some type of ministry. And when you start to minister, you should expect difficulty. If you don't want to be that much of a pessimist, then don't be surprised when there is difficulty. It is inevitably going to come. It, uh, it's going to be very inconvenient. Serving the Lord is, is very, very inconvenient. Uh, and just as Jesus experienced when he was here. But m- many people, when they hit difficulty, when they hit criticism, when they hit inconvenience, they quit. And then you ask them, why did you quit? And this is what a lot of them will say. God led me. Really? <laughs> so I say to people, I know a lot of you people are much nicer than me. You go, oh, yes, the Lord led you. I get it. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, you're going to hide behind that one. You're going to hide behind that one. I love at the end of verse two, he says, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. You see, the Apostle Paul just laid it out to them that we were more concerned about what God thought than what people thought. We were more afraid of God than we were of the authorities. And so we gave the people what they needed, not what the people wanted. He says we were bold in our God. Another version says, with the help of our God. So as Paul was speaking, and here's the thing, you rarely will sense it ahead of time. It's usually not until you open your mouth. (laughs) It's not really not until you roll up your sleeves and you get at it. And he's saying to us that he was aware of the divine presence of the Holy Spirit 
as he was doing the ministry, and he continued to trust in the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it helped him conduct his ministry. And that seemed to make him free and fearless because really of two things. He, he knew the power of the gospel to change people. He was very, very confident in that. Yet at the same time, he knew that God was watching over him. This is a great challenge for us, isn't it? Do you, do you and I really believe in the power of the gospel to change people? And do we really remember and believe that God is watching over us? Yet, like Christ had to pay, there is a price to pay for that. If you live and serve God and people, um, people are going to say stuff about you. They're going to criticize you. It comes with the territory. Yet, he says that he was bold. Not obnoxious. There's a difference between that. Boldness and obnoxious. Boldness is a, is a conviction of what you are saying. You are able to say it with, with passion and with, and with, with conviction and, and hopefully clarity. And, and boldness makes people uncomfortable because you're not telling them what they want to hear. Now, sometimes you can be loud. You know, and like, oh, God's going to give you everything you want, and that's going to be great, and you're great, and God's, you're so awesome. Well, that's not really boldness. That's just sucking up to you with a loud voice. And I really believe that it was his boldness and his clarity, which is why, a big part of the reason why people were changing. And... I would say today, and again, I know I'm going to sound like a pessimist, I would say the lack of honest boldness in our pulpits today is a big part of the reason why a lot of people are just not changing. It, it, it's sermonettes for Christianettes. You know, taste great, less filling. <laughs> Sermon light. It, it, it's just... It's just not boldness. You know, it's, a, it, it, it's not the kind of stuff that has people leaving wondering, gosh, where am I with you, God? It's just people just can't wait to get out and have donuts. Perhaps what he says in these verses uncover the real conflict. He says, our coming to you was not in vain. Now, that expression can, can also mean our words weren't empty. They, they, were, they were not void of content. And a lot of people have a lot of words. You ever hear a lot of stuff with a lot of words? And it's like, well, really, what was that about? And we're, I, like, I didn't even sense God speaking to me at all. And, and, and he's saying, we spoke the truth. Now, I get a lot of this stuff in the mail that they mail pastors, and I get free books mailed to me. And, and um, there's a big debate going on in the church in America. Some of you are going to find this totally silly, but it's huge. It's huge. And if you think it's silly, you're in the minority. And, it, and it's should we give the people less truth so they like church more? You're in the minority. And whoever said no, you're in the minority. 
You see, here's the thing. It clearly works, though. If you want to draw a crowd, it clearly works. Yet we have to ask ourselves, is that what he calls the gospel of God? Is that the pure gospel or is that a tainted gospel? Is, is, that, a, is that the gospel of man? Like we often say, when you take any, anything away from the gospel, you've lost the gospel. You add anything to the gospel, you've lost the gospel. Verse 3, I want to read twice. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So let's try it again. For our exhortation, another version says our appeal, did not come from error. We, didn't, we weren't bringing you error. We were bringing you truth or uncleanness. Another version says we were not there talking to you with impure motives, nor was it, was, was it, in, de- was it in deceit. We, another version says we did not attempt to deceive you. Verse 4, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So here it appears the Apostle Paul is answering some of the accusations that are against him. And at the same time, he could be outlining the traits of the false teachers themselves. So he, they know what he's been saying about them. And so they're just thinking, well, he's far away. We're just going to say the stuff uh, about him. Now, um, you know, why, why, does, why does the Apostle Paul defend himself? Because the integrity of the gospel depends upon it. If it wasn't for that, this strikes me as the kind of guy who's like, well, let him talk, let him talk. One of the key ways you can tell someone is the real deal, he says that, that, that we didn't speak from uncleanness or impure motives. We didn't try to deceive you. One of the ways you can, you, key ways you can tell that someone is the real deal is Jesus has freed them or is it's obvious he is in the process of freeing them from selfishness. Selfishness is, is, is one of the things that you can really tell that, that God is at work. When, when you're starting to be freed from that, that God is really at work. Why, why would that be the case? Well, because having seen Jesus Christ give his life on the cross motivates, grace-motivated people, motivates his true followers to give of their lives to the gospel. So in verse 4, he says, we have been entrusted with the gospel. So when they've been entrusted with the gospel, they're, they're getting beaten up. They're going from town to town. They're always getting in trouble. Personal gain is not even on the table. It, it is the furthest thing from their mind. The word he uses in verse 3, exhortation, some versions say appeal, I think gives us great insight into the way the Apostle Paul preached and is tremendous lesson for us. We said earlier that he was aware of the power of the Spirit while he was preaching. And he preached in order to persuade the mind. He preached to the heart, to the soul, and to the minds of people to make a decision for Jesus Christ 
But he didn't preach with empty promises and deceit of you getting things that you, you know, your flesh covets. He preached with facts. He, he preached with the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember he told the Corinthians, when I came to you, I pretended to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. They were in the land of the great philosophers and all kinds of different, you know, weird ideas that were coming in. And he came in with that simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. In his day and still today, people change those things. A lot of of you come from churches where uh, people preach guilt at the expense of grace. Others of you uh, came, have come from places where they, it was sort of anything goes. And so it was, they would preach error to make it seem easier. You know, it's easy, it's easy to be a Christian. Uh, false promises which deceive people. Why? Well, it appears the Apostle Paul thinks the reason is impure motives. So he said in verse 3 that his gospel was true, his motive was pure, he was honest, he was not tickling the ears of people. But in verse 4 he says, because our ministry was from God. He says that God entrusted us with this message, he appointed us with this message, and he sent us out to preach this message. He said before that he was an ambassador of Jesus Christ. What does an ambassador do? Delivers the message from the person that sent him. Doesn't change the message. He delivers the message as he was told to do it. Now, he says that we were entrusted, appointed, and sent out. And you might answer, come back with that. Yes, but anybody can say that. And I would say, yes, that's true. But the Apostle Paul's point is and will be You can tell the difference by the message and the way the messenger lives. Those are going to be two telltale signs for you, whether you have someone who is truly, not perfect, but truly about the word of God. By the message they preach, is it bold? Is it clear? Are they not making excuses? Are they really... Can you tell that this guy, he doesn't care what we think. Seems like he care, only cares what God thinks and how they live their lives. You might ask the question, how can a man be this free and this fearless? And the answer is simple, because he served the Lord first and foremost, not the crowds. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't care about the crowds. Sometimes I'm, I'm preaching and I'm, I say something and half the audience goes, eh? <laughs> so, so I back it out. Sometimes I'll say, Oop, I'm going too fast. You know, I'll back it out. I'll, I'll try and you know, explain it again a different way or something like that. But, but ultimately trying to still get to the same point where they would understand what it was that God was telling his people. That that doesn't mean you're, again, obnoxious. That doesn't mean uh, you're like some people always defending yourself with God told me. Be real careful with that. A lot of times people do dumb stuff and they're like, well, God told me. I'm like, really? He's not very bright. (laughs) 
know, are you sure? Especially, you know, the people do stuff that's inconsistent with the Word of God. When people do stuff that's inconsistent with the Word of God, and you say, dude, I'm just curious, what, what are you thinking about? Why'd you do that? And they go, God told me. Say, no, he didn't. If they said, you don't know what he told me, you say, that's right, you're, I don't know what he told you, but I know what he didn't tell you. He didn't tell you that. Because <laughs> that, that, that doesn't match up. And, and the longer you walk with the Lord, it's easy to see the dryness and how, to, and how out of sync people's ministries are who constantly default to God told me, God led me, instead of other people saying, wow, that person is clearly led of the Lord. He says here that God approved our ministry, probably talking about the past, and but yet the, the way the verb is written, it, it continues to, to while he tests and examines our heart to see if we are the real deal. Now, here's the thing that's important to remember. Whenever we talk about being the real deal, God knows if we're the real deal. You know how you read the ingredients on some things and you think you're buying something. You know, I always use the example of sunny delight. I think you're buying orange juice and it's like 10% orange juice. You're like, that is not orange juice, <laughs> right? That is, that's a little bit of orange juice, water, and sugar. So, so God knows who the real deal is. And he, and he shows us whether the real deal or not. Interesting here is the, the idea of, of pleasing God. He says in verse 4 that, that even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Now, pleasing God spans a great many things, including our relationship with God and the way that we live our lives. We'll call that holy living. It also has to do with resisting the pressures of the world, uh, being loyal and obedient to God instead of the pressures of the world. And, and this is an important diagnostic question for all of us, is what we are doing pleasing to God or not? Now, here's a really difficult question for us to ask, because where do you spend most of your time? Think about it. There's, for most of us, there's some place that we spend most of our time, work, school, home, whatever, wherever it is, and to ask ourselves, God, in that place, am I pleasing to you? Also, uh, when, he, when he talks about that we, were, we speak as not pleasing men, but to God who tests our hearts, he's, he's also talking about what they were engaged in. They were engaged in evangelism. Now, this is going to be an unusual statement at first. I'll clarify in a second. In general, spreading the good news is pleasing to God. I'll clarify that in a second. And thwarting the good news is not pleasing to God. That part's very clear. So you say, why would you say it in general, spreading the good news is pleasing to God? And, and now, it, Paul did tell the Philippians, listen, people preach for all kinds of various reasons, but... But, you know, all I really care about is Christ is preached. And, that, and that's okay. But I'm talking on an individual basis. For some people, God is not necessarily pleased with the way they are evangelizing because some people have selfish ambition. Some people want to, to, to be seen as, as great evangelists. Some people have worldly motives in in evangelism and in service to God. 
you will come across over the years some people who want to be known for their service. And if they're not known for their service, they'll constantly tell you about their service. Or they want to draw attention to it. I, I, I've heard from a lot of you, like, you know, that, that guy, every time he puts something on social media, I mean, it's this thing, but it's really about himself and how wonderful he is. Uh, or in emails or even prayer requests, you know. Oh, I just wanted to let you know, I did this, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. And please pray for that guy. <laughs> so how do you know it's you? You say, I don't, now some of you, you're looking at me like, oh no, is he talking about me? Well, uh, read what you write and how much of you is in it. And if people, people say to you, you know, man, you know, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes people make prayer requests here at the church and you go, that's not the prayer request I made. Because sometimes we take you out of it. Because <laughs> we know you don't want to really be in it. We know your heart. We know you really don't want it to be about you. You want, it to, you want the glory in heaven, not the glory here. And, and, so, and so, you know, see how you react when people take you out of it. Um, and then when, you, when you've done that, have a heart-to-heart -heart with God. And, 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 and ask yourself, over the years, we've seen at the church here, people whose ministries, the road just seems to be blocked. It's because they have to learn that lesson or, or, or they're just frustrated. Nobody, nobody really seems to see you know, my giftedness and, and how wonderful I am. Or, or ask yourself um, why people maybe don't want to work with you. And here's the thing, that all may sound very difficult or very harsh. It's actually a fairly easy fix. Make it about the Lord and his work. Make it about humility. Make it about what God is doing in the midst of what you're doing, not what you're doing in the midst of what God is doing. So as we, as we move to verse 5, the Apostle Paul has shown us he's He's not a self-serving man pleaser. He says, verse 5, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, same thing as you go, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. What, what, what would that mean? Well, what does a cloak do? It covers you up. And said, we were not using, we're not taking our words, using it in a way that would get us what we want. Uh, another version says, nor did we put on a mask to cover up our greed. And then he says this, God is witness. If you don't believe me, we'll call God to the witness stand. He, he'd, be happy to, he'd be happy to testify. So now it, it appears the Apostle Paul is answering the charges that he was greedy and, and he was too authoritarian, that he lacked humility and he lacked care for the people of God. And note, he says, we didn't, we didn't use flattering words. Flattery is a great way to gain a following. It's not encouragement. It, it, it's, just, it's just saying things to people that are somewhat true, half-truths, not true, and, and, it, and it's very big today. Again, some of you are, are going are gonna to be like, no, you're kidding me. But many pastors feel the job today 
is to have the people leave church feeling good about themselves. It's very, very common. Very, very common. And and you, if you do that, you can often present a false sense of security to people. And, and so, so, so what do we want people to do? We want people, we want, we're trusting the word of God. I always trust the word of God is, is going to encourage those need, who need to be encouraged, humble those need to be humbled. You know, a few weeks ago on a Sunday message, probably thought it was odd. I prayed, Lord, some of us need to be brought up a few notches and some of us need to be brought down a few notches. <laughs> and, and God did it. God did it. And, and so, you know, we have to be, you know, really, really careful about that. Uh, people will say, because so many pastors feel that, the, that their job is to have the people leave feeling good about themselves, people will say, oh, that pastor is such a breath of fresh air. You read that on the Internet all the time. People write the comments, and there's absolutely no judgment. Well, that's true, and there's little to no honesty either. Apparently, some were saying the Apostle Paul was using flattery and deception to make money. Imagine that, people making money in the ministry. Take it from someone who, who has uh, owned a number of businesses. If you are dishonest, the church is the biggest money laundering operation ever invented by the United States government. <laughs> it really is. It's it's so shameful, it's so shameful, and 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 we don't do that here. But I I, I know what some guys do, and I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Um, for example, did you ever see the guy on TV? There's a bunch of them. They're on TV. They're wearing like five thousand dollar suits, Rolex. You know, they have planes and chauffeurs, and they're going. <laughs> this ministry is going to close if you people don't give money. I am like, let's all pray it closes, really. <laughs> let, 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 let's really pray it closes. Or, or look at all the good we're doing with the money you're giving me, and they're showing you pictures of all the, you know, they threw a picnic for some kids in the park and stuff like that. And, and so, they, so they got all these people to donate, you know, $5 million to the cause, and they put 200000 towards it, and they pocketed the rest. This is the kind of stuff that's out there. People were doing it in the Apostle Paul's day all across the Roman Empire. There's all these charlatans, snake oil salesmen going around doing all this kind of stuff. And they accused him of, of, of the same way. Why? So people wouldn't send their money to him in the mission field. They would give the money to them. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, man, God knows what's going on. Let's call him to testify. He'll reveal the truth. So no flattery, no covetous. Thirdly, he says, verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. What does it mean to be an apostle? An apostle is, means to be one who was sent with God's authority. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, some, it apparently appears that some people were accusing the Apostle Paul of wanting the glory, but clearly the Apostle Paul knew that the glory, all the glory belonged to the Lord. 
Um, this is a temptation for, for many people, if not for all of us, to look more spiritual than we are, to, to act like we have it all together. And uh, people especially do this with new believers. They find somebody who's new, and, and maybe they're well-intentioned, maybe they're not, I don't know, and they, they kind of want to act like they have it all together. It's, it's, again, what the Bible calls drawing disciples unto yourselves, and if you're new to the faith, you need to watch out for people like this. Again, I think some know they're doing it, and some don't know they're doing it, but the Apostle Paul would say this is not the way we are to operate. Verse 4, he told us he didn't want public approval, now in verse 6, he's saying, listen, I don't want the approval of men. I don't, I don't need the approval of men to feel good about myself. I want the approval of God. And this is the amazing thing about this guy. And if you find yourself under criticism, and, and the further you're, you put yourself out there, the more criticism you are going to get. This, this is so inspiring to me. This guy was so criticized during his life and today is so honored by the Bible-believing church. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who left a legacy. Oh, my goodness. Just absolutely incredible. Here we also see something very, very important about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't come into town and throw his apostolic weight around. Now he could come in and they'd be like, oh, here he is. He's coming in. And no, he doesn't, he doesn't do that at all. He demanded nothing. He demanded nothing, in, in, including money. And, and as an apostle, that would have been his right, and it would have really been their duty. The, the ministry is a job. And people get paid for their job, and the ministry is work. But instead of asking for money so people would believe the message, he worked another job. He had a tent-making business. And so he would, he would work, and he would preach, and he would work, and he would preach. yet people still criticized him. That shows you how wicked this world is. This Sunday, Jesus is going to call it the evil eye. The evil eye. That, that a guy could, could work and, and, and not be asking for any money. Guy came up to me Sunday and said, there's two things... In, that, that just struck me about that sermon that was absolutely amazing. I go, what's that? He goes, number one, a lot of it was about money. I said, okay. And he said, and number two, you didn't pass the plate. <laughs> I said, you're our guest, man. Go have a free cup of coffee. Don't worry about it. Another gentleman said to me, I I'm sick and, this is my first time here. I'm, I'm sick and tired of churches going, talking about money. I said, did you realize that we're going line by line through the Gospel of Matthew? And, and um, you know, this has just happened to be where we were. And if you come back next week, I hope you will. Chapter 20, verse 1 is probably where we will pick up at. So he says, oh, you mean there were other messages before this? I said, that was message 92. <laughs> 
I said, we've been in, in Matthew's gospel for the last two and a half years. We've been taking some breaks, but, but that's, that's just really, we're, we're just getting as much of Jesus as we can. You see, it's interesting what, what the Apostle Paul did to stop the accusations. In Corinth, he worked to stop those people because those people had something to say about everything. In Thessalonica, he worked because they were poor. He didn't want to come in and ask them for money because they were poor, yet the critics still tell their lies. The, the, the truth was, he says in verse 7, I was that we were gentle like a nursing mother. Now, you moms, you know exactly what I'm talking about when you have that little one. Um, other than love, what can you possibly take from an infant? Absolutely nothing. A mother doesn't take, she what? She gives. It is a total giving of oneself. Sometimes when my kids get a little snarky with my wife, I'm like, hey, you lived in her belly for nine months and she changed your diaper. She's still changing them. <laughs> so so the mo mother doesn't take, a mother gives. He says, that's what I was like. I wasn't a taker from you, I was a giver. He realizes that being a leader in the body of Christ, it is a complete honor. I'm telling you, it is it is it is a humbling honor. It is a it is a is a weight of responsibility that I know that I do not bear um, by myself. Others bear it with me here, but but I also know that the Holy Spirit bears it. And and so, while being a leader is a great honor, it is more of an obligation than an honor to serve the body of Christ. To be that way, to not to not be a taker, but to be a giver. It's a massive responsibility. It's a massive responsibility. It's something they could never teach you in any book, in any Bible college, in any seminary, in every class. It is a massive responsibility. And and it's not a responsibility to make people respect you. I, I've said to many people over the years, I don't doesn't matter to me whether you respect me or not, but you need to respect the office that you need to respect. But it's not it's not to make sure people respect you. It, the responsibility is to help people depend upon Jesus Christ. That's the that's what what one of the real dangers of the cult of personality in, in, in so many of our churches, if, if, if it's a cult of personality, um, then, then, then when the personality goes down, the whole ship sinks. So I've said to you many times before, and I will say it again, if anything happens to me, honor me by staying here and pressing on. Please, please do that. That's how you would honor me. And if I do something stupid, warn me once, second time, take me around back and beat me with a baseball bat. Then get the healing team out to pray for me. But keep going without me. 
keep going and keep going. In other words, the Apostle Paul was not out to prove himself great, but the greatness of Christ. And that was his mission. Verse 8, great verse. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. First and foremost, the role of an apostle, and remember the apostles were pastors. The role of an apostle, the role of a pastor is to preach the gospel. To offer to people what Jesus called living water. To offer to people what Jesus called the bread of life. To offer to people the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that's the role of the pastor. So what did they preach? When Paul came into town, what what did he preach that got everybody so up in arms? Oh, God will give you everything you want. No? Oh, you'll always be happy. Fairy tales can come true. They can happen to you. (laughs) No? Not that one either? No, no, they, when they came into town, they preached the sinfulness of men and women. And then they preached the provision for the forgiveness of sins, the, the perfect life of Jesus Christ, his, his death on the cross, dying a sinner's death in your place for your sins and his resurrection from the dead. And that you receive salvation, you receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life by turning from your sins to God and putting your trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. No longer trusting in yourself. No longer trusting in what you have or what you've done or what you've accomplished or what your titles are. No longer trusting in anyone else. Trusting in Christ and Christ alone. And so he said, we imparted to you the gospel. We gave you the gospel. But notice next what he says. We also gave you our lives. To put it in today's church language, he would say, I didn't preach and then go hide in my office. I wasn't in my car while the band was playing the last song. You know, a lot of preachers do that. That last song is on and, and, the, and, and, the, and the guy's already in his car driving home. No, he says, we, we shared the gospel and we shared in your life. And we shared our lives with you. What is he saying? The Thessalonians had become family to to the Apostle Paul and his team. They actually came to know them. They knew them and they cared for them. It's a great lesson for all of us. Technology is making us less relational. It's so easy now to, to... to hear about something and then shoot an email off to one of the pastors. Shoot an email off to your community group leader. Instead of, instead of saying, maybe this is a need God wants me to meet. Not as many of you do it anymore because you know what the answer is going to be or you, somebody, you suggested to someone, they go, I wouldn't go say that to him. Because people used to always come to me and go, 
you need to come talk to the guy in my office. And I go, why? God gave me you, not me. <laughs> oh, you need to talk to this guy. I'm like, why? Well, God put him in your face, not mine. <laughs> that, that way of shifting off responsibility to someone else. Now, I'm not talking about when you're in over your head. But that way of, of shifting the responsibility for simple needs of the first century church was not the way of the first century church, excuse me, that we saw in Acts 17. Remember, it said these people who've come here and they've turned the rest of the world upside down and now they're here. Why? Because, because that was not the way of the first century church. That was, they, were, they were out in the marketplace. They were, they were helping one another. They were sharing things with one another. And again, this comes down to discipleship. And this comes down to not acting like you have it all together. Which in certain aspects of the church, some of you have come from parts of the church where everybody had to act like everything was perfect all the time. I'm not saying that we should be always walking all the time like ER, oh, bother, you know. <laughs> hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, bother, <laughs> every week. That's not what I'm talking about. But some people act like they have it together all the time because they feel they're less spiritual if they don't. And, and once again, I've seen this often. New believers are impressed with these people. And then you go talk to the leaders and they don't even consider the guy or the woman a help. They're like, all they're doing, all they're out there is trying to show everybody else how spiritual they are. And, and, and they don't get, see, they don't get close to the leaders because they know the leaders are going to call them out for what they are. They're going to unmask them. Here's the thing. We do well when we show new believers, and that's what the Thessalonians were. We do well when we show the new believers how we work our way through the problems of life with the Word of God. You know, sometimes people say to me, what, what do you think the biggest need in the church is today? I think the biggest need is for those of you who have been walking with the Lord longer to go out to the diner and sit across the way, sit across the table from somebody who is newer to the faith and let them pelt you with questions on how does a man or a woman of God live under these circumstances. I had three men do that for me when I first became a Christian. The greatest thing. The greatest thing. One of them's home with the Lord. I've seen two of them. They found out I was a pastor. They both started to cry. Why? Because so many of the people in this church are the fruit that's bounding to their account. They simply took a guy who knew nothing, who knew nothing. And, and I like to read. I love to learn. So that was not the hard part for me. The hard part for me was how does a Christian man live when this comes up? And I can't tell you how many times I heard this from one of them. You do the right thing. You trust God and you let the cards fall where they may. 
What a great way to live. What a great way to live. Sadly, the care of new converts is not what it used to be. Seasoned believers seem to be not willing to pay that cost. So tonight, I'm calling all of you to be different. I'm calling all of you to be different. Verse 9, For for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring day and night, night and day. I mean, they were these guys were working like crazy. They were working to earn money. They were working to preach the gospel. They were ministering to people. They were discipling people. They were, they, were trying to, they were trying to make money that we might not be a burden to any of you. That's why they worked for money, so they were not a financial burden. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring day, night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we preach to you the gospel of God. What is he saying to them? Listen, listen, I know, I know what these false teachers are saying to you about me. I know it. And remember, he's defending the gospel. He's not defending himself. But he says, think back on what you saw. Forget about what people say. Think back about what you saw. You know that we were servants. You know that when you got up in the morning, we had already spent time with God and we were already at work. And when you went to bed at night, we were either still working or studying so we could get ready to teach you the next day. We were servants. We were not celebrities. We worked day and night to bless you, not to be a burden to you. You see, what did they do? They put the needs of the people before their own comfort. They worked and they served to the point of exhaustion. There's a big difference between being tired of the ministry and being tired from the ministry. (laughs) Sunday, I got here about quarter to six in the morning and uh, taught the two services, did a small group, did a counseling, did a message for, had to come put together a message for youth group, did youth group. And so uh, as I'm leaving at night, it was like 8.30, uh, uh, quarter after 8, the, uh, the youth leaders are like, oh, this is great. You can go home and relax. I go, relax. I have to go home and be a husband now. <laughs> so what was I? I was tired from ministry, but not tired of ministry. Not easy. But these guys worked and they served to the point of exhaustion. And and to be honest with you, I read these things and I think, you know what? If in the power of, of God's spirit they can do it, I can too. You know, this is still a reality of ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to get on the soapbox just for a second you know technology has people texting and emailing pastors all day and night and to be honest it's tough i mean i mean what do you just just imagine you you go to bed at night and so you turn your ringer off and you get six or eight texts and calls 
from from the time you know, I I usually go to bed at ten and I get up at five. And that's you think why are these people doing that? But but how would you feel if one of them was an emergency? See, you wouldn't get any rest if you were getting every hour was going off, would you? You'd be getting up to see if it's an emergency. And 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 nothing's worse than when you find out one of them was an emergency. You know, 20 years ago, if, if a pastor asked this, this was very common 20 years ago, 30 years ago. If a pastor said, listen, I'd really like my mornings for the word of God and prayer. And I'd, and I'd love to have a day off just to, just to rest and recharge. People were okay with that. They were. But now some people are angry about that. They're angry about that. So, so why is it important that pastors have that time? He says, we preach to you the gospel of God. <laughs> we need time to figure out what the Bible says, what it means. <laughs> now, I don't really find much of it that difficult after all these years. Um but it's not always obvious. And the hard part is not for me to understand it. The hard part is to how am I going to explain it so you understand it? That's the hard part. Not, not that, it's like anything else. You, you read something, you go, I get it. And then somebody says, you explain it. And you're like, ah, 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 ah. Right? That, that's the hard part. See, if we don't give our pastors, and I'm talking about all the guys here, if we don't, if we don't give them time to study and to pray and to rest, we're going to end up with just a bunch of opinions. And you deserve better than that. You deserve better than that. And, 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 and if you don't get opinions, what will you get? You will get what all the texters and emailers want to hear about instead of the message of the cross. All right, I'm off the soapbox. Verse 10. I'll read it twice. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Let's try it again. You are witnesses. In other words, he said, you saw it. You saw it. Forget what they're saying to you. You saw it. And God also, God saw it too. How devoutly, some versions say how holy and justly, some versions say, how righteously we lived according to the word of God. And blamelessly we behaved. You know these accusations are bogus. You know that. Stop joining in. Stop listening to what people are saying. We behaved ourselves among you who believe. Dismiss what they're saying. Verse 11, as you know. Keeps telling them, you know it, you've experienced it. How we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Before he used the example of a mother, now he's using the example of a father. We were a mother to you and we were a father to you. And verse 12 is huge. Why? Why would they do all of this for them? Why? This is it. This is the goal. If, 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 you, if, you, if you ever 
if you ever think, I know you all think I'm weird, but if you're like, what in the world drives this dude? It's right here in verse 12. It's, here it is. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom, his own kingdom and glory. That's it. That's it. The Apostle Paul says, I, we cared for you and nurtured for you. We nurtured you like a mother. But we also taught and challenged you like a father. We, we challenged you to press on. Why? Again, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The goal of ministry is not to get people just to come in and sit in the seats. The goal of ministry is not to just get people to say a prayer. The goal of ministry is to help people walk with Christ all the way into his kingdom and into his glory. That's the goal. And that walk is described as worthy of God. Worthy of God, what do you mean? And his call to salvation. It is a call of a continual walk with Jesus. Now, this is important, and do not miss this. Do not miss this, because remember I said some of the stuff that a lot of pastors believe today? And while I am going to dispute what they say, well-meaning as they might be, notice how the Apostle Paul loves him. Do you have any doubt that he loves them? No doubt. No doubt that he loves them. But also notice that he, he loves them but he does not lessen the demands of the gospel. Why? Because that would be unloving. That would be everything that they're saying about him. He, does, he loves them, but he doesn't lessen the demands of the gospel. He doesn't lessen the demands of a life of following the king. He doesn't lessen the demands of the life that we are all called to live. This is not earning our way to heaven. We learned about that last week. It's last Sunday. It's absolutely impossible. This He's talking about the external evidence of a true salvation that God gets all the glory because those who he calls and accept his call, he enables to walk with him daily in a worthy manner. So what's our part? Our part is to confess and to forsake sin. Now remember we said last Sunday, we said, we're not going to be perfect in this, but we have to be willing to give it up. We have to be willing to give it up. And the other thing we have to do is we have to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God daily, with joy, you say, how can I do it with joy? You can do it with joy when you're confident that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Now, that walk will not always be easy. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. It's going to be easy. And, and even if you are walking well, the fact of the matter is that may make your life harder. Those of you who are the honest person at work, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're like, we can't do that. That would be lying to the customer. 
it's not, everybody's not like, oh, great idea. <laughs> right? Like, you can get us out of this. Just, just, nope, can't do that. And look what happened to the Apostle Paul. He walked well. He underwent all this trouble. Jesus walked perfectly. I mean, a perfect life led Jesus to the cross, but it also led him to heaven to be seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor. So tonight, Jesus calls you to that honor, to, to, to walk with him in this life into his own kingdom and glory, to have a seat at the table with the family of God. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, Jesus said you need to repent and believe. That's where you start. You repent. You turn to God. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to forsake my sin. I need your help, God. I need your forgiveness. And put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've already done that, you have the kingdom here. You have it here. But it's also true that the kingdom awaits you. Well, let's stand and pray.